Thank you for tuning into sermons from Liberty Baptist Church in Newport Beach, California. Our goal is to help you know God more and take the next step in your spiritual journey, no matter where you're at. If you have questions about God or about Liberty, you can connect with us at libertybaptistchurch.org. We pray that the Lord will use this message to be a help and encouragement in your life. Family. Just the word can bring so many thoughts, memories, emotions. Even for those in this room that have had difficult or painful family situations, the word family still evokes powerful and positive feelings in most of us. It may be something that we've experienced or it may be something that we long to experience, the true joys of a loving family. When we say that word family, what do we think of when we say family? Often we think of, maybe one of the first words that comes to mind is love. Security. That's my family. I'm secure with them. Laughter. We might think of that crazy uncle that every family has, or maybe an aunt. How many of you, you are that aunt or uncle, that you're the crazy one in your family? You think of those, when we think of family, often we think of those who mean the most to us and who have our backs. Sometimes this is biological, our family, and other times it's a person or a group of people that God has brought into our lives that we have grown together with, and they have become family. God has knit our hearts together at some point along that journey. Here's the reality, church. We all need family. We were created for family. From the beginning of creation, God made man, He made Adam. And what did God say? One of the very, the the first man created in in the first uh, main story of the Bible in Genesis, what did God say about His creation, Adam? Everything else in His creation, He saw it, He said, and He said it was good. You read the first few chapters of Genesis. He made this, and He made that, He made the sun, moon, and the stars, and He saw it, and it was good, and it was very good. And then He made man, He made Adam, and what did He say? It is not good for man to be alone. It is not good for man to be alone. What is he saying? We were created for family. He said, I will give him family. I'll bring into his life loving, supportive, vital relationships that will help him to find and fulfill his purpose here on earth. You say, well, yeah, maybe that's what God did for Adam, but you don't know the pain and the heartache and the disappointment that I've had in my family. May I remind you that the very first family, one of his sons murdered his other son. In this sinful world, pain in family relationships is nothing new. It's been there since the first family. But God said, I, I'm, going to, I'm going to bring some important relationships into his life. Family is God's idea. By the way, family is, God, is a God-ordained institution. This is not my message today, but I'll just throw this out there because there are many loud voices in our society teaching and preaching other things. God defined what a family is. We don't get to redefine it. God defined what love is. God is love. We don't get to redefine it. God defined what marriage is, and for thousands of years we did okay with that definition, but all of a sudden in this generation we've become smarter than the rest of human history and an almighty God, and we think we get to redefine what marriage is, what love is, what God is, uh, what family is. God defined it, but family is something that we all need. 
that we all long for, that we all crave. And this morning, I want to bring a message to you entitled, What Makes a Family? We're going to be in the book of Acts, where we've been for two years on Sunday mornings, but we're not going to be continuing in Acts 22. We're not picking it up in the verse where we stopped off Acts 22 last year. We're actually going to go back um, to Acts 2. So if you have your Bible, we're going to go back where we were a couple of years ago now, I think probably uh, the summer of 2019 when we were in Acts chapter number 2. And we're going to pick it up there, and this morning's message is going to be a little bit different. We're going to look at the passage, but we're not going to get to our Scripture until really the final third of the message. That's pretty out of the ordinary for me. I'm a big believer that the Bible is where the power of of any preaching is, and, and I still believe that. And we almost always jump right into the passage and break it down. Today is a longer introduction than normal. And, and today is a little different. This is more of a pastoral message to a church family uh, for some things for the future of our church. By the end of this message, there will be some concrete, practical steps that I want to challenge each one of us to be taking in our lives. And so with where we find ourselves in this season in our church and with our church structure, this message is geared directly to that. Now, if you're not from our church, you're visiting, this message will be applicable and the truths will be helpful for you. But just know, this is a little bit different than my normal message or maybe my normal format or structure, uh, but I believe that it's where God wants us to be this morning. Back to our question, what makes a family? We sometimes get funny ideas about family, don't we? I was reading uh, several groups of kids were asked questions about what is family, what is love, marriage, dating, all of these types of things, and and, uh, some kids were asked, what's the right age to get married? And Judy, age eight, said, the right age is 84, because at that age, you don't have to work anymore, and you can spend all your time loving each other. Tom, age five, kindergartner, had different thoughts. He thought a much younger age was right. He said, once I'm done with kindergarten, I'm going to find me a wife. That's what he said. (laughs) Nine-year-old Mike was asked, what do people do on a first date? He said, on the first date, they just tell each other lies, and that usually gets them interested enough to go for a second date. Some of you might be able to relate to that. Is it better to be single or married? Lynette had some wisdom beyond her age. She said, it's better for girls to be single, but not for boys. Boys need somebody to clean up after them. (laughs) Seven-year-old Kenny said, it gives me a headache to think about that stuff. I'm just a kid. I don't need that kind of trouble. Some of you might relate to Kenny there. Kids' thoughts on love and why it happens between two particular people. One girl said, no one is sure why it happens, but I heard it has something to do with how you smell. That's why perfume and deodorant are so popular. (laughs) An eight-year-old Harlan said, I think you're supposed to get shot with an arrow or something, but the rest isn't supposed to be so painful. (laughs) I'm not sure. The question of what's falling in love like, nine-year-old Roger responded, like an avalanche where you have to run for your life. And then Leo added, he said, if falling in love is anything like learning how to spell, I don't want to do it. It takes too long. And some of you might agree with Leo there. Kids' thoughts on love and good looks. Jean said, Jeannie said, if you want to be loved by somebody who isn't already in your family, it doesn't hurt to be beautiful. And so that's what she thought. But Gary disagreed. He said, it isn't always just how you look. Look at me. I'm handsome like anything, and I haven't got anybody to marry me yet. That's what he said. And then Christine might have understood the way the world works the most of anybody. She said, beauty is skin deep, but how rich you are can last a long time. So I'm not sure. 
eight-year-old David, they asked, why, why do some people hold hands? And David said, they want to make sure the rings don't fall off because they paid good money for them. <laughs> and, uh, and then on, on thoughts of what's necessary to be a good family member, Ava said, one of you should know how to write a check because even if you have tons of true love, there's still going to be a lot of bills. And so some of you understand Ava there. And then, I like these ones, I'm almost done. How can you tell if two adults eating dinner at a restaurant are in love? Here's what Brad had to say. If you're at a restaurant, how do you know if they're in love? He said, lovers will just be staring at each other and their food will get cold. Other people care more about the food, all right? How many of you maybe at this point you care a little bit more about the food? I'm not sure. And then Christine also added, it's love if they order one of those desserts that are on fire. They like to order those because it's like how their hearts are on fire. And so, and then the last one, Randy's marriage advice might hit home for some of us. He said, be a good kisser. It might make your wife forget that you never take out the trash. And so, we can get some funny ideas about marriage, about dating, about love, about family. So what makes a family? Is it a ring? Is it desserts that are on fire? Is it being forced to live in the same house? Is it just finding someone who will clean up after you? You know, it's interesting in the New Testament, our Christian lives in our community as believers, what we call the local church, is often used, the analogy Jesus and Paul and others often used the analogy of our biological families to our Christian family, often. Jesus would use these analogies of our physical life, our physical birth, to liken the Christian life. What did he tell Nicodemus in John chapter number three? He said, marvel not that I say unto you, ye must be what? Born again. To, to go to heaven, there has to be a spiritual birth, just like there was a physical birth. To enter a family, there has to be a, a spiritual birth. Well, what did, what did uh, uh, Paul say when he was talking about the church family at large? He said, you are all members of one body. He said, all of us have a different part to play, and just like my body has fingers and feet and eyes and ears and a heart and a brain, and all of these things are working together, what was the analogy? One of them is that a church family is literally supposed to be joined together like what we call with our family flesh and blood. That's my flesh and blood, meaning that's, that's who I'm closest to. And Paul said, that's the church. We're supposed to be flesh and blood, joined together, united to do the work of God that He's called us to do. We're called newborn babies in Christ when we enter the family of God. If you go to the book of Thessalonians, as Paul is writing to the church at Thessalonica, he writes a letter, and you know what he likens himself to there with them? He says, I was with you, and I loved you, and I cared for you. And here's the two analogies or metaphors that he used. He said, as a father cares for his children, he said, and I cherished you and I nurtured you the way a nursing mother does her newborn child. He used analogies, metaphors, word pictures. He used those of family to show us what the, how the church is supposed to operate. In Mark, Jesus said, for whosoever shall do the will of God, the same is my, what does it say there? The same is my brother and sister and mother. What is Jesus saying? Those that God has brought, we are a family, spiritually speaking. I got a text this morning from a, a man that just got saved in our church this year, a new Christian, and, and his text simply said, it said, happy Sunday, here's, the, here's what it said, brother. 
What is he saying? I'm in the family. I got saved, and, and I view the church. I'm growing in that, and, and we are like family. Now, here's the reality. Th this man I, I, I've just met in, this, in the last few months, I don't know him real well. He's sitting here this morning. He doesn't know me real well. We're, we're getting to know each other. I don't know him nearly as well as I know my wife or my, my parents, my biological family, but, but he gets it as a new Christian. This is family. And by the way, that's, he didn't make that up. That's all throughout the New Testament. They called Paul or they, Brother Paul or Brother Saul, they, they came in Ananias when he first got saved, referenced him as a brother in Christ. Hundreds of times in the New Testament you'll find words like brethren and brother. Uh, he likens older Christians to fathers or mothers in our lives. Timothy was his son in the faith. It is clear from the example of Scripture uh, that it's clear that God intends the church to be a family. But here's the problem. In modern Christianity, too much of the time, we've cheapened the Christian experience by making it a consumer transaction. I pay my money to receive my spiritual goods. I go find the one that meets my needs. Which, which one has the, the band that I like the best? Which one has the coolest playground for my kids? Which one has the, the exercise class that I can, I can go to on a Tuesday night? And what, Which church offers the most? And we view church not about a family we can join, but a consumer transaction. It's a place where we can get the most perks. We think of church membership the same way that we think of Costco membership or country club membership. I pay my dues, it, that country club, it offers me an, the, 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 the networking opportunities, the relationships of, a, of an important group of people, and I can go hang out there, and I can benefit, my business can benefit, and we'll, sometimes people will choose churches based on their networking opportunities. That is not the picture of the local church found in the New Testament. It's, not, it's supposed to be a family, not a consumer transaction. It's not you, you pay some money so we entertain your kids and entertain you for an hour a week and give you some good networking opportunities and make you feel good with our spiritual TED Talk, and then you drop a few bucks in the offering plate, and we did our spiritual transaction on Sunday mornings. That's, you don't find that anywhere in Scripture. You'll find that a lot in America. You don't find that in Scripture. God intended for our Christian experience as church members to be far deeper, far more relational, far more valuable than any consumer transaction ever could be. He truly wants us to be a church family, a place where we find love, security, help, laughter, care, a place where people have our backs and they celebrate our biggest victories with us and they weep with us and walk through our deepest valleys and defeats with us as well. Christianity is first and foremost relational and communal. Christianity is first and foremost relational and communal as it relates to the church membership experience. So, using an analogy that Jesus used and is found all through the New Testament, we're going to look at a few things that make us a family from a human perspective, my long introduction, then we're going to jump into Acts 2, and we're going to see how those very same things that we understand in our human families, our biological families, or maybe our families that we've brother from another mother families, those, those relationships that are like family. The things we understand of what makes us family, whether by blood or not, we're going to see how those very same things existed in the very beginning of church history. And it was God's plan for the New Testament local church from the very beginning as, as believers were plugged into a local church in Acts 2. So by way of introduction, what makes a family? Number one, I would suggest to you, what makes a family? New birth. You know when I became a part of a family? When I got born. 
That's what made me a member of the Thompson family. My mom, my single mom, 22 years old, Bobby Thompson. I was born in San Jose, California, Good Samaritan Hospital. That new birth made me a part of her family. Whether she liked it or not, whether she likes it today or not, I'm a part of her family. Why? Because of my new birth. That birth that happened several years ago, I'm a part of that family, right? And, and what made our—we have five children—what makes them a part of our family? What started it was birth. By the way, what makes you a part of the family of God? It's new birth. We'll get there in a minute, but new birth. I was born into my dad's family, my mom's side, the Thompson family, my dad's side, the Addington family on that day as well. I immediately became a vital part of my grandma Phyllis's life, my grandpa that was alive at that time, Bob, in, in Florida. My, my birth enlarged their families. It gave them the capacity to love more. It created more relationships in their lives. My, my Granny Betty and Papa Bill in Florida, both now in heaven, my great-grandmothers that were alive at that time, uh, Mama Nez. And Big Mama, it's a funny name for a lady that was about five foot tall, 90 pounds. She was Big Mama, my great-grandma. Both of them lived till about 98, 99 years old, almost 100. I became a part of their family, how? By new birth. My birth brought them into the family. When I was born, I became a part of the family. What else makes us a family? I, I would suggest, number one, new birth. Number two, what else makes us a family? Growth and teaching. You know what makes is because they have and appreciate my mom, my dad, others in my life, is because they have been there to invest in me, to teach me. My mom, I remember being frustrated and maybe even crying, getting mad as she, she taught me how to tie my shoes, learning how to walk, ride a bicycle, learning how to do those things, and, and, and she helped me with homework so I could learn to read and write and took me to sports practices, and, and, and the joy to see a child grow her, their first step, to see them win their first trophy in sports or get honor roll at school. We rejoice as we see those in our family growing and flourishing and learning. My da dad taught me things and took me out how to fish and how to mow a lawn, and men in my, in my church family taught me how to tie a tie and drive a stick shift. I grew and, and grew in relationships because some people loved me enough to take the time to invest in me and help me become who I am today. And you know what? Again, whether blood or not, the people that I view as family are those that in my life either God has let me spend some time teaching them and helping them grow, or they have taken time to teach me and help me grow, and we become family. You walk through all of those seasons of life. A healthy family teaches one another and helps each other grow. Number three, what makes us family? Family time. Oh, that's my family. Here's the re reality. If you don't spend much time interacting or building relationships, those you might have a deep love, but the relationship can get strained and distant and cold pretty easily. Memories. Fun, trips, vacations, activities. I remember going to camping and going to Disneyland. I remember the, the Main Street Electrical Parade back when it was original and they hadn't just brought it back as a little kid sitting there and those memories. And I, we, we watched TV together. We went on walks together, went to a movie together, went to see animals at a zoo. We laughed. We cried. We got angry. We apologized. We made mistakes. But through it all, we were there together. I was raised by a single mom. My dad, I lived in Northern California. My dad lived down here in Southern California in El Cajon near, in San Diego area. He would fly me down a few times a year. A couple times he would come up to things. Why? Because families need time together. He would bring me down several weeks a year and, and do things together. And we would go boating and, and go camping and go, we went cross country and road trips. And, and why? 
We intentionally spent time building relationships, and because of that, some of my closest relationships are my wife, my kids, my mom, my dad, my siblings, my brother-in-law, sister-in-laws. How does that happen? Time together where we can be ourselves and grow. A healthy family spends time together. Number four, what makes a family? I would suggest sacrifice. When somebody sacrifices for you, it deepens that relationship. We love him because he first loved us. One one reason we love and appreciate our parents is because the older we get, generally speaking, we realize some of the sacrifices they made for us. Now that I'm a little older with a little more perspective, I realize my 22-year-old single mom changed her social schedule to care for a newborn baby. She worked two jobs to pay for me to go to private school, and once we got saved, eventually a Christian school. And then I got kicked out of that Christian school, and so she saved some money for a semester or so. And then they let me back in, and she started paying again. But I look back now, and one of the reasons I love and appreciate her, why I realized some of the sacrifices she made. When I said I wanted a Mongoose Decade BMX teal bike with the, the pegs in the front and the pegs on the back at age eight or nine, she told me, we went to the, to the store, she said, which bike do you want for Christmas? And I showed her and she said, Ryan, if I remember correctly, this was probably 1988, it was like $325. That'd be expensive today if one of my kids asked, let alone 30 some years ago. And I remember her saying, oh honey, there's no way I, I could ever afford that. And I knew she was right. And so I forgot all about it. And you know what she did? For the next two months, she went and asked for overtime so that she could save that money. So on Sunday morning, her eight or nine-year-old boy will walk out to the backyard and, and, and open the patio as my last gift of Christmas and see the bike that I had asked for. Her sacrifice knit our hearts together. It showed me how much she loved me. Now, decades later, those sacrifices have deepened my love and appreciation for her. She's made sacrifices for me that no one else in my life has. Now my wife makes sacrifices for me and our family, and I seek to make sacrifices for her and for our children. Why? Because we are family. A healthy family sacrifices and gives to each other. And lastly, what makes a family? I would suggest to you service. How many nights has my mom and every mom in here interrupted their sleep to make sure their baby was taken taken care of? to make sure they're fed. What are you doing? You're serving them, rocking them to sleep, giving them medicine for that fever. How many meals did my mom cook for me? How many uh, loads of laundry did she do? How many Saturday mornings can I remember seeing my grandma that lived with us on her hands and knees? She now sits in a rest home today, but on her hands and knees scrubbing the kitchen floor and cleaning the bathroom. And as I went off to college in the same city, and I would come home every weekend and bring my laundry bag, and my grandma would do my laundry. I, I don't know if I should be proud of this or not, but I didn't have to do a load of laundry all through college. It goes a little farther than that, but I'm, not, I'm a little ashamed to tell you the other part. I actually don't know how to do, this is a true story, I don't know how to do laundry. I've never done laundry my whole life. I just got it out there in, in the open. Why is that? I really don't. My kids know how to do laundry. I don't know how to do laundry. That's, that's, that's a little weird, isn't it, Jay? I'm this old and I don't know how to do laundry. I don't. If you gave me laundry, I don't know what I would do. I would put it in, push a few buttons, and hope it came out right. But why don't I know how to do, that's really, I don't think I've ever said that publicly, but I don't know how to do laundry. It feels freeing. I got it out there. I've never done a load of laundry my whole life. Why is that? Because I had a mom, and some of you are like, your mom, your grandma, and your wife have babied you. That's why. But I had a mom, a grandma, and now a wife that has done my laundry my whole life. Well, they have, that's an area where they have served me. Families serve one another. Some of you, that's the only thing you're going to get from this message. Teenagers are going to be like, see, pastor doesn't do his laundry. I don't have to do laundry, mom. You have to do laundry. 
My kids do their own laundry. Do as I say, not as I do. But what does a healthy family do? They serve each other and they serve with each other. So now we get to our text, and I want us to see what did they do when they first became a church family? We'll warm that slide up there for most of the remainder till we get to the, the very end of our message. So we get to our text. I want us to see Acts in chapter number 2, verse number 41. Would you read Acts 2, verse 41 aloud with me? Acts 2, verse number 41. Let's read it together. Ready? Begin. Then they that gladly received his word were baptized, and the same day there were added unto them about 3,000 souls. Here we have Peter preaching at Pentecost. Jesus has just ascended back into heaven. This is really kind of some of the first public ministry of the disciples here in the early church. Jesus has died, been buried, risen again, and he's told his disciples, I want you to go and preach the gospel to every creature all throughout the whole world. And, And as he did that, as he told him that, uh, they began to go, and Peter stands and preaches. And what do we see here? What we see is there were added unto them. There was already a small group, about 120 of them. And after this first church service, the church is now, the attendance is now 3,120. The church membership role went from 120 to 3,120. But here's the reality. Right now, they have a crowd. They don't have a church family. I don't just want Liberty to be a growing crowd. I want us to be a growing church family. And so what happened? What took them from a crowd of 3,120 and what made them a family? I want you to see it. Number one, what took, what took them there? Do you see it? It was new birth. They that gladly received his word. Then they were baptized. What you saw happen to Lucy here. What happened? The very first thing, what makes us a family? When we, what, what made my wife and I, our family bigger? New birth. What made their church family bigger? New birth. 3,000 people. Her the good news that they had a Savior, Jesus Christ, that had died on the cross for their sins, had paid the eternal price, their debt was paid, every sin was forgiven, had, had been buried, and had risen again, and had ascended back into heaven, and now His disciples are preaching the good news, what we call the gospel. That word just means good news. They're preaching the gospel of Jesus Christ, and the family grows. A couple chapters later, it grows to 5,000. Why? Because of new birth. What makes a family physically and spiritually new birth? People sharing the gospel, people accepting Christ as their personal Savior. If our baptistry dries up and it gets used for Christmas decorations and we're never seeing folks come to Christ and we're never seeing new birth and new life and baptisms, something is wrong. It is not a healthy church family that never sees new birth. Number two. What made them here a church family? And by the way, they they will be a family. They will die for each other. Really, they're dying for Christ, but they'll die together, willing. They'll go to prison together. They'll be persecuted together. What makes that new birth? What do you see? Secondly, I see growth in teaching. Chapter 4, verse 42. And they, the whole crowd, continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine. 
There was a regular, and we're going to see it here, it was actually daily, but a regular place and time for them to be growing in their understanding of the teachings and doctrine of Christ and to grow together in community. You see it there, the next word is the, the apostles' doctrine and fellowship. There was a place for them regularly to grow together in community and to grow together in their spiritual understanding. Anybody have any idea for our church family where those times that we can increase in the apostles' doctrine? which today is the Word of God, where it's our church services on Sunday, right? And this Wednesday, we're launching our community groups. Why are we doing that? Well, we just, we read a book and we read a magazine and we thought, you know what, let's try something new. No, why we're doing that is we don't just want this to be a crowd. There, there are enough churches that are just crowds. We want this to be a church family. And what makes a family? People growing. They can see there was apostles teaching them. Those that had more wisdom, those that had more experience, those that knew Christ for longer periods of time, those that had more knowledge, they were teaching others, and they grew together. They grew into a family. Why? Because there was new birth, and there was growth, and teaching. And as a church, I, I, one of the leaders of our church here, I want to look and say, are we structuring our church to look somewhat similar to the New Testament church? Are we accomplishing? the things that they accomplished. Where are our opportunities for growth in relationship, for growth in community, for growth? And obviously that stuff can happen outside of regular service times, but I also want to be intentional about it with our church structure. Growth in teaching. Number three, what do you see? Verse 42, it says they, they, they continued steadfastly. It wasn't something they did for a week or two or three steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine and fellowship and in breaking of bread. Some people say this would have been communion. And in prayers, and fear came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were done by the apostles, and all that believed were, do you see the word there? Together, and had all things common. Together. I want you to see in verse 46, the middle of it, and breaking bread. That, I don't believe that is communion. That there, I believe, is them having meals together. Breaking bread from house to house did eat their meat with gladness and singleness of heart. What made this big crowd a family? that was used for God's glory. Number three, family time, fellowship, getting to know each other. They were in each other's houses every day. They were in the temple daily. They're there growing spiritually. They're there growing relationally. They're eating meals together. They're getting to know each other. They're praying for one another. They're finding out what the other people's needs are. We're going to see that here in a minute. They're serving each other. They're serving not only each other, but they're serving. By the way, churches ought to serve one another, but we ought to only serve one another. We ought to then serve together other people that don't know Christ. And they're serving other people. What makes a family? New birth, growth in teaching, family time. Number four, what makes a family? I think you, spoiler alert, it's on the screen. Sacrifice. You see verse 45. And they sold their possessions and goods and parted them to all men as every man had need. I want you to sell everything you have and bring it to church. That's not what I'm preaching this morning. But that's the example of generosity of the early church. We're a family now. That person's hurting. I had lunch with a man this week, and he said, God's blessed me in some ways. If you know of that somebody that's hurting in this way or that way, let me know. God's blessed me. I don't just want to keep it for myself. I want, what is that? That is what a church family should be doing. Sacrificing. I have something that can bless somebody else. Let me do that. That, isn't that one reason you love and appreciate those that you call family? A spouse, a parent, a friend, an uncle, a cousin, a coworker, a partner in business. One of the reasons that you have a deep love for them, why? 
because of what they've sacrificed for you. If our entire church experience, if this is what it is, and I'm glad if, you're a, if you only come and you just slide in and slide out, I'm so glad you're here. I'm not trying to guilt anybody. If this is our entire Christian experience, week after week, month after month, year after year, we walk in, we sit down, we consume, we sing a few songs, we enjoy it, we hear the preaching, we walk back out, and there's never in our lives, and we get some growth in teaching there, but never family time, never sacrifice, never serving, never re- we're missing God's plan for the church family. He says here, when they came together, how did they become a family? They said, whatever is needed, I'm going to do it. Whoever I can help, I'm going to help. Whoever I can serve, I'm going to serve. And then lastly, what makes a church family in this passage, look at verse 45, if you will. It says, and parted them to all men as every man had need. What did they do? Not only did they sacrifice generous generosity, they served one another. And it wasn't a one-time thing. Well, pastor, I hope you have one big service activity each year, and I'll, I'll jump into that. Have one big offering, and I'll kind of make a sacrifice there. Look at what their, their routine was. And they, verse 46, continuing, what's that next word, church? They continue in verse 46, what? They continuing daily with one accord in the temple. There, there's a joy from house to house, did eat their meat with gladness. By the way, there, there's a joy, a unity, a, a, a fullness in our lives that comes that cannot be had outside of the family of God. Verse 47, praising God and having favor with all the people, and the Lord added to the church daily such as should be saved. Every day, new people were joining their family. Why? Because they saw a happy, joyful, thriving, loving, sacrificial, selfless, serving group of people, and they saw the power of the gospel to take a group from 120 to 3,120 one Sunday to 5,120 the next Sunday, and then every day people are coming. How does that happen? That's the power of the gospel, and it changes us, and we have dumbed down and cheapened the Christian life that we find in the New Testament to this consumer transaction. I'm going to come and entertain me. I'm going to find my favorite preacher that it's the funniest, that has the, the, the best book, the, whatever that might be, and it's all about what I can get, and we've lost what it means to be a church family. Very little fellowship, very little sacrifice, very little service, very little, let me find out how I can help that person, very little weep with them that do weep, rejoice with them that do rejoice. And I believe our church has a wonderful spirit. This is, not a, this is not me beating our church family over the head that they're a bad church. This is all of us reminding us, I think culture has robbed us of some of this. We're all busy. We've got a lot going on. And we've lost some of the fullness, the gladness, the richness that comes from a true family. Do you see the family here? It's growing. There's love. There's support. There's service. There's sacrifice. There's unity. There's daily growth. There's joy. There's momentum. There's excitement. There's sacrifice. All of those things, service to one another. That's God's plan. And here's the question, and I'm almost done. Does your church experience mirror the church experience found in Acts 2? So why did I jump out of our sequential study in Acts 22 to come back here to Acts 2? We could have been talking, we, we could have stayed in that. Why have I done that? For those that have been in our church for any length of time, you know we've been talking about our updated, renewed ministry structure since January. 
And, and, and I want to spend just a few moments sharing my heart as a pastor for us. I've shared that already. But what we've talked about uh, here over the last several weeks is the idea of what we're launching on Wednesday, our community groups and service teams. I, I believe our, church, our church has been growing over the last year, and I'm thankful for it. We've had hundreds of first-time guests over the last year, and I'm thankful for it. But one thing we've not done well from an a organizational standpoint, we have great corporate gatherings, but because of COVID, much of our service opportunities and our times for relational, personal growth have, have stopped. And so we met with the leadership of our church over a year ago and started talking about this, and we've worked on it, and we've been training and working with leaders, and, and we're launching on Wednesday community groups and service teams. I think many of you got this on the way in. If you did not, the ushers will come through the house. I want everybody to have a copy of this this morning. I'm going to cover this real quickly, and then we're going to be done. But I want you to see these things, and why is it so important? Because I want our church as much as possible to mirror the church found in Acts. Oh, it's going to look a little different. They didn't have cars. They didn't have the internet. They didn't have—their lives were a little different. I understand that, but the principles are the same. Ushers, you can come through once you have those. And if we've missed you, just slip your hand out. Every kid, every teen, every adult, grab one of these. And you're going to see on this insert, we're going to have about 40 different groups and teams where you can plug into our church. This is not a marketing ploy. This is not some church growth strategy. This is our church leadership seeking to be intentional about providing a structure where we can foster the five things you saw, new birth, growth and teaching, family time, sacrifice and service to each other and to others outside of our community. It's my prayer that every person in our church will plug into one or more of these opportunities. It's why we've done what we've called Enrollment Sunday, last Sunday and this Sunday. All those tables in the lobby with clipboards and signups. Why? My goal is that your Christianity moves beyond a Sunday morning, and I'm glad you're here. Sunday morning, sit here for 90 minutes, hopefully be blessed, hopefully be helped, and then go and, and, and you don't think of maybe God or His Word, or, and maybe you do. Uh, but, oh, involvement, plugging in, you're not building relationships. That's not God's plan for the Christian life. His plan is that, we, that, that, that God's family is some of the closest people to us. And when we're struggling and we need help, there are people that have called and reached out to pastors on our staff at 10, 11, 12, 1, 2, 3 in the morning. And it should be that way. Or reach out to one another. When you're going through one of the deepest times, you know there's somebody there that can support you. Frankly, I've walked through some difficult times in my life. I don't, how, I don't know how those that don't have a church family do it. But some of you might think, I, I've talked to people, churches in Orange County, uh, I had talked to people from other churches, some of the larger churches in Orange County. Uh, I had someone sitting here whose child was in our school, and, and he told me, he said, honestly, I went to that church for years, and if I were in the hospital, I wouldn't know who to call. And there might be some people here that you'd feel the same way about our church, so I'm not saying we've figured this all out. There are people, there's someone in our church today that, so I was a member of, of this church, most would know the name in here, for a decade, I never once met the pastor. And I'm not here to judge anybody, I'm just telling you, from our perspective, what liberty, God wants us to be a family. He wants us to grow together. 
It's my prayer that every person in our church will plug into a group or a team or an active part of both. And on the front or on the back side, whatever side that is, you'll see community groups. These are going to meet. Two of them will meet starting next Sunday morning. There's a, a ladies group and a men's group at 9 a.m. And then the rest of them for this semester to the end of the year uh, will meet here on Wednesday nights. In, in, in 2022, we may move some of those to other nights and other locations. But you can see there's a young adults group and a ladies group and a men's group and a young couples group and a group that's going to be focusing on marriage principles and parenting principles and finances and, and a book study verse by verse and biblical citizenship. As a Christian, how do we relate to all that's happening in our society politically um, and, and our teen ministry and our children's ministry? And my, my prayer is we're, we're going away from what we had done on Wednesday nights because of what I see in Acts 2. I feel we have, the Lord's blessed us, and I, I, I'll be, I'm not trying to be boastful, I feel we have strong corporate gatherings. I love hearing you sing. I think that the preaching is biblical and it's helpful and it's applicable, and I'm glad for all of that. But if this is all we get, we're missing something that God gave them early. They were in each other's houses. What were those? Small groups of believers getting to know each other, praying together, sharing needs, uh, doing life together. And my prayer is that there will be hundreds of us on Sunday morning and Wednesday night that are plugging into these community groups and finding one. And you can go out and talk to the leaders if you have a question. And, and on, the, on the front side or the, whatever side that is, you see service teams. And here's my prayer. My prayer is if you're an usher, that that's not just I stand by that door one hour a week. My prayer is there is a group of people that you begin to grow in fellowship with and you serve together. And, and you can see the, the list there, the nurseries and the children's ministries, our bus ministry. We could use right now three or four people that'd be willing to get a CDL. We bring in thousands of children, teens, and adults every year that otherwise wouldn't be able to come to church. But we go to their homes and pick them up. And you might be able to drive a bus a couple Sundays a month or work on that on Saturday or Sunday and bringing children in and seeing them come to know the love of Christ. Our teen ministries and those that serve in greeters and parking and ushers and security and, and the bookstore and choir next week, Lord willing. This won't be done, but we'll have some railing up so people don't fall off the back of it. But we're planning, I'm praying we'll have 70 voices up here singing. And there's a choir practice tonight after church, I believe. And if you'd like to join, I'm praying for instruments that we'll have people playing instruments. And, and my prayer is, isn't that you just come and serve, and what you do each week is you come, stand here and sing, but through choir practices and through times together and through fellowships, you begin to build relationships with the people sitting next to you. And you're not just singing one or two songs a week, you're starting to grow together. And when you have a prayer need, there's somebody in the family you can reach out to and say, would you pray with me about this? I want, to, I, want to, I want you to rejoice with me about that. It's not just about how do we get a bunch of people to do what we need done around the church. No, it's about how do we serve together and grow together to become not just a crowd, but a family. If you can play an instrument, we'd love to have you in the orchestra, the live stream ministry. That's getting vamped up, revamped with a new system, and our AV, and special events, and there are things that aren't listed here as well. Our maintenance, all of this that you see, all of this construction, all this plywood was done this week by men, volunteered, that came down and gave their time. And the, several of the men that were here, one wouldn't want me to name his name, and, but the others don't mind a little bit of uh, glory. Javen and, and, uh, and, and Emmett and some others, I'll guarantee it, Javen and Emmett they started working together as volunteers in construction, I think last summer. They now have a much closer relationship and brotherhood, and if they need something, they can go to each other. Why? Because for a year, they've served together when nobody's watching, just doing some fix-it stuff around the church. That's God's plan. And it doesn't all have to be for, at the church. We have a rescue mission and outreach and our bus ministry and, and different events that we do. But here's the thing. 
every one of us, yes, should be taking in and growing. But then we should be finding places and outlets to serve. We've got Lucy's whole fan club and others that aren't here in our church. And you say, what does this message have to do for me? Here's what I would say to you. You're, you don't, even if you're not a part of Liberty, if you're part of another church, this should be your view and commitment to your local church. And if you're not a part of a local church, may I say this? You're, in your, if you're a believer, your Christian life could be, could be and should be so much fuller and sweeter and significant and filled with relationships, but that only comes when we grow together and we learn together and we pray together and we serve together and we give together and we sacrifice time for one another and we sit down over coffee and, and we meet the Bible study for an hour on a Tuesday morning or a Thursday night and we meet together for a, a game night at our house on a Friday night. All of those things are very spiritual. Here, what were they doing? Daily fellowship growing in the apostles' doctrine. You see the teams, the outreach, the maintenance, the prayer partners, missions uh, team, the finance team, helping with volunteer there or, or counting the offering and things of that nature, food service, or at your service ministry. All of those are out in the lobby. You say, this kind of sounds like a sales pitch. This is not a pyramid scheme. I don't get commissioned the more people that sing in the choir. Uh, there's not some headquarters that's sending me some check because we had more ushers. Challenging God's people to plug into a community group and or a service team is not something that we're doing to them. It's something that we're seeking to do for you because your life will be so much more fulfilled, so much of so much more eternal value, so much more benefit. There's th these ops people, these things we're doing are a way that we're seeking to fulfill God's plan for his people within his church. So I want to challenge you. To, to plug in here to the life of liberty and, and to, to get saved, that's new life. And, and then we see them, as soon as they got saved, what were they doing? They were plugging in and, and growth and teaching and family time and service and sacrifice. The very first church and over the last 2,000 years. So I, I come back to my title, What Makes a Family? Is this your family? What new Christian are you befriending? How are you growing and learning at Liberty? How are you sacrificing for your church family and for the community that needs Christ? How am I serving? How are we, who are we building relationships with? Who are we praying with, laughing with, crying with? Who are we rejoicing with? Who are we getting together? I desire Liberty to be a family that reflects the family of God we find here in the New Testament. And that is why we're launching this week these community groups and service teams. Because I want us, much like Acts 2 and much like we see in Galatians and the churches at Galatia and the church at Philippi, that unity and that growth and that love and that service. I've experienced it in my life, my home church for 25 plus, uh, I guess more than that, 27 years and here for six years. I know the joy of service. I know the blessing of Christian brotherhood. I know what it is to have somebody teach you and train you and give to you and, and people that you can serve with. And I want that for you. My life is eternally different because of the work of Christ in my life and the involvement in the local church in my life. So I hope that hundreds of us will make it a priority to, to, to ask ourselves, am I really a part of this family? And if I'm not, what's the next step? Maybe it's a community group this Wednesday night. Maybe it's a service team, an area where God's giving you some skills or giftings or resources that you can use not just for your career, which is great, but you can also use for the service of other believers and unbelievers through the ministry of the local church. For, I don't know what that means for you, 
But I'm, I'm asking for you to consider that I can't wait to see small groups of kids and teens and adults scattered around the property this Wednesday, living out the pattern that we see here in Acts chapter number two. In Acts, you say, man, I, I'm kind of busy this week. In Acts, they ask you to be there every day. I'm just asking for Wednesday if you're able to. And it's not a guilt trip. If your schedule doesn't work on Wednesday, you coming Wednesday doesn't magically make you a better Christian. But the idea, the idea is, am I growing in community? Am I serving? Am I really a part of the family or am I just part of the crowd? Plug in, jump into the life of liberty this week. Ask questions. If, if you, you say, I signed up and nobody contacted me, talk to me, talk to one of our pastors. We want to see that. Truly make this your church family, not just a religious club you have membership to where you pay for a religious service, you have a one or two hour consumer experience. What makes a family? Spiritually and physically. We could name some other things, but what I see in this passage, a lot of what makes us a family physically is also what makes us a family spiritually. New birth in Christ. That's, that's the baseline. The gospel of Jesus is what all of us unite around. I love that our church has people from newborns up to people in their 90s, people that are college educated to, to high school dropouts, people of, uh, born in America, people that just came to America in the last month or two or three, people with, with, with prestigious jobs, people with maybe not so prestigious jobs, but some that might be unemployed. I love that we have all kinds of, of shapes, sizes, and colors, if you will. Why? Because our unity isn't around any of those things. Our unity is around the gospel of Jesus Christ. And that new birth brings us into the family, but then there has to be some growth in teaching. The Bible says, you aged women, teach the younger. You aged men, teach the younger. Is any, are you teaching anybody? Is anybody teaching you? Are we investing in each other? Growth and, and training, growth and teaching, family time. When was the last time you laughed with another believer and just went to coffee, had an activity, went to church? I, this sounded like a really good idea six years ago. It's not a very good idea anymore. But on Friday night, I spent 12 hours. I stayed up all night long with our teenagers. Get there, all right? Pro tip, if you go to pastor another church, don't volunteer to do that when you first get there, all right? It sets a precedent. But I stayed up all Friday night from 7, 7 p.m. to 7 a.m. And you know what we did? We laughed. I went, half of our adults fell asleep about five in the morning. I went and screamed at them and, and woke them up. And we grew together and, and, and we laughed. I took a picture of Brother Ryan. He only dozed for about five minutes, but I took a picture of him, sent it to his phone. It buzzed on his watch. He pulled out his phone. He was sitting right next to me. It was a picture of him sleeping. He said, you jerk. I thought it was a parent texting me right now. <laughs> and you know what we did? It, it was just fun. We just had some family time with the teenagers and we built some memories and we grew a little bit together as a family. That is what God wants for you. If you're a part of liberty, that's what he wants for you here. If it's not here, wherever you're at, that's what he wants for you where you're at. What makes a family? You've listened well. Let's go to prayer. Thank you for listening to messages from Liberty. Tune in next week for more Bible teaching or subscribe on iTunes to stay up to date with our current series.